Would you please uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, Luke 24, um, with Easter and um, the resurrection of Jesus and the empty tomb and all of that celebration still fresh on our minds, we thought we would linger there a, a little while longer since the Gospels do. Right, so often, and you know, uh, church staff and leadership and the choir and the musicians and all of us feel this too, and maybe you do too, the, uh, the beginning part of the year kind of builds and builds and builds toward Easter and there's all this activity and then finally Easter comes with a loud shout of celebration and, and, and then something is done. And I um, thought, you know what, uh, we're going to tarry there, bask in Easter a little bit longer and we're going to do it as the Gospels do it. Um, figure it's a good idea if God's word uh, tarries there a little longer that maybe we would too. And uh, the way the Gospels do it is they give us different stories of Jesus appearing to people after he rose from the grave uh, and before he ascended to heaven. And uh, those often, those stories aren't often um, uh, taught or lingered on uh, very long because we're in such a hurry Oh, to get to Pentecost, and, and Pentecost is great, but there was this 50 days and even this one day or two that we'll focus on in these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus that uh, were needed and important too. We're, um, we're being a little tongue-in-cheek uh, by teasing the series title with the title uh, Ghost Stories, and... Um, where we get that title from is on one occasion, if you remember, Jesus comes in and he's suddenly standing in their midst and, of course, he says, and you would guess what he said if you've been here for the last few weeks, he greets them with shalom. Now that he's brought shalom, now that he's made it possible for there to be nothing missing and nothing broken. And he comes to them and he says, shalom, peace be with you. And the very next verse is this, and they were frightened because they thought he was a ghost. And you see that in a lot of the, almost all of the times that Jesus shows up after he rose from the dead, there's this hesitancy to really believe it's him. And so we're asking through the series title, Ghost Stories? It's a rhetorical question that uh, demands the rhetorical answer, well, no, not mere ghost stories. They're much more. But it um, strikes me that maybe some who, who don't know the risen Lord yet as their Savior uh, may look at some of these things as ghost stories. So throughout this series, we'll be kind of asking indirectly the question, well, are these really ghost stories? Or are they a whole lot more? So we'll take a look uh, at uh, some of these stories. We're going to start this morning by um, looking at uh, one of the most fascinating post-resurrection uh, stories of Jesus, and that's um, his appearance to two guys, two of his followers, who are walking away from Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus, a small village seven miles away. And... It's still Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus doesn't waste any time. A group of women uh, have already been to the empty tomb and encountered uh, the angels and 
Peter and John uh, have already run there soon after they heard the women's report to kind of check it out. And Jesus uh, may have already appeared to Mary Magdalene uh, and to Peter as well. I, I say maybe already because he did appear to them, but uh, the timing um, is up for debate. The Gospels aren't that specific with the timing. But in any event, um, the, uh, our story this morning finds uh, the newly risen Savior hustling to catch up with two men on the road to Emmaus. Your Bibles uh, are open to Luke chapter 24, and uh, let's pick up the action at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And uh, as soon as you see seven in the text, uh, quite often, most of the time, it's a foreshadowing by the biblical author. Seven, God's number. There's a God thing coming. Why tell us that it's about seven miles away? So pay attention. There's a God thing about to happen. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? This brought them to a stop. They stood still, their faces downcast. And um, let me pause there just a minute. Downcast. Um, pretty powerful English word, but probably not strong enough to capture the, the Greek word there. These men, they're crestfallen. And not just because someone dropped their toothpaste. That's it. It's the only joke, the whole message. Yeah, someone's applauding, it's the only one. They're inconsolable. Their spirits are absolutely crushed as followers of Jesus who had put all of their hope in him. The great uh, poet T.S. Eliot in his poem The Wasteland describes what it was like after all the events, all the noise, all the craziness of that Passion Week of Jesus leading up to including his crucifixion. T.S. Eliot describes it this way after that. He writes, after the torchlight on sweaty faces, after the frosty silence in gardens, after the agony in stony places, the shouting and the crying, prison and palace and reverberation of thunder of spring over distant mountains, he who was living is now dead, we who were living are now dying. 
And so the mood of those disciples, including these two men, have come to a complete stop in the face of the question, what's going on? What are you talking about? Spirits crushed, in vain looking to recapture hope, which is gone. They stood still, their faces downcast. Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas asked Jesus, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Big clue historically into the fact that this didn't happen in a corner where no one really knew about it. This whole thing was the, the, the talk of Jerusalem. What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In context, referencing the culture and of the day where it was the third day that the spirit fully and finally left the body. He was dead, dead. He was really dead. It's all over. It's the third day. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a, a vision of angels who said he was alive and then some of our companions went to the tomb and, and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Which is deeply ironic because he's right there. <laughs> and you can see here what um, these disciples uh, thought of the women's report. They weren't believed. They wouldn't be leaving Jerusalem that same day crushed. They really thought that he was alive. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory P.S. Many are surprised to find that it's right there. It's the first time in Jesus' ministry here on earth that he called himself Messiah. He would always refer to himself as Son of Man, Son of God. Peter said, you are the Messiah, but Jesus, not until it was all done, would he call himself the Anointed One anointed through crucifixion and resurrection. 
Didn't you know that Messiah has to suffer these things and then enter his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And when I see Luke one day, I'm going to say, Luke, why did you edit out exactly what he said? (laughs) Where's that chapter? As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening, the day's almost over. And So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Sound familiar? Taking bread, blessing God for the gift of it, breaking it to show it's his to share, and then giving it. Sounded familiar to these two men because then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord's risen and has appeared to Simon. That's how we know that he did appear to Peter. We don't have that detailed account either. And then the two told what had happened on the way, in Greek, on the road, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Fascinating story, isn't it? And people um, debate things like why and how these men were prevented from recognizing him. People wonder what scripture Jesus talked about with them and they ask things like, why did Jesus pretend to keep going before he's invited to stay? And why was it in the breaking of the bread? um, What about that allowed them to uh, recognize him? And and why does Jesus disappear just as soon as they do? This morning, um, I want to offer two main takeaways from the story. I'm sure there are many others, and maybe I'll begin to answer some of those questions too, but these two main things resonated with me this past week. First, it seems to me, do you agree that um, all of us um, from time to time find ourselves on a road to Emmaus? feeling like uh, our understanding or sense of things is slipping through our fingers? Feeling disillusioned with what life is like as a follower of Jesus? Have you been there? Or are you there now with these two men walking along inconsolable even? We wonder what God's doing in light of the trouble in our lives, struggling to understand it all. And just up front, I think first thing, foremost, the story shouts and gives us 
it gives us, it sort of begs this question. Yeah, we understand there's roads to Emmaus, but this passage asks a, a question, but guess what? Okay, now when someone says, but guess what? What do you say? Oh, thank you. And it answers the question, Jesus is on the road with us. And oh, we might not recognize him right away, but he's there, walking alongside because he's alive and his love for us still lives and he's there to show it and he'll always find us He'll always find us, no matter the dejected, desolate, dusty road. He's there, and he's interested in what we're feeling and talking about, and he asks us to share it with him and so he can take on the burden, and he offers to help us to understand, uh, in the light of his word, what in the world is going on in life, because he loves us, and he's there. Eliot beautifully captures this later on in his same poem, and he says this, Who is the third person who always walks beside you? When I count, there are only you and I together. But when I look ahead up the white road, there's always another one walking beside you, gliding wrapped in a brown mantle. I do not know whether a man or a woman, but who is that on the other side of you? And we know who it is. It's Jesus. He's always there walking with us, even if we don't recognize him at first. God has said, and he says throughout Scripture, here's a sampling. He says in Hebrews, for example, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. In Proverbs, he tells us, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. And earlier on in Luke, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so he's always there, my brothers and sisters, always. Amen? And so when you pray, I always hesitate to share this because when I say something like this, people say, oh, you know, I've been praying wrong. No, you, you, you can't possibly pray wrong uh, if you show your heart and what you're feeling and thinking to God. but So let me do it this way. Let me offer this as an encouragement to your prayer. And I, I think it every time I see or every time I still hear on my lips the prayer, oh God, please come and be with us. And I find myself saying it sometimes and I go, ah. Oh. Okay, here's one thing. You don't need to pray that because he's there already. He's right there next to you. And, and, and to me, uh, when, I, when I pray that and I start feeling it, I say, oh, yes, I know he's there. So, uh, so the prayer to me becomes, Father, I know you're here because you promised, but oh, Father, I can't feel you there. I don't see you there. Where are you? Help me to recognize you on this lonely road. Help this life to stop slipping through my fingers. I don't see you. I don't feel you. What's in the way? What's ever in the way, Father? Would you take it away? Would you guard me from it? Would you lower whatever's the barrier so I can fully see you there walking beside me? Please, Father. And when you do that, he promises you will See him there. 
Because he's always walking there. He's always right there besides us. He promises. Even if we don't recognize him at first. So how do we recognize that Jesus is there aside from praying that prayer, which I, is a great way to approach God with recognizing him? But how do we know? And I, I think that's the second takeaway, it seems to me, from our passage this morning. And did you notice, an understanding of Scripture helps. But did you notice that that alone wasn't enough for them to recognize him standing there? Those two guys had the best Bible teacher ever go through all of Scripture with them. Oh, so much want to know what they took. For some reason, we're not supposed to know. We go look ourselves maybe and find it. And many have tried to put it together, and you can too. The best Bible teacher ever if there's a real short list of Bible teachers that you can have open the scriptures to you, I don't care who's on the list. If Jesus is on the list, pick that one. Because <laughs> he helped write it. And he is it. They had the best Bible teacher ever. Just make the scriptures sing to them. And he was spot on with what they were uh, struggling over. Uh, showing them in the scriptures that the Messiah had to die, suffer and die. And still they're like. And then he would rise from the dead. Still they're like. And in the teaching, even from the best Bible teacher ever, they still didn't recognize him, did they? Oh, we learn later that as he taught, his teaching and opening of the word caused their hearts to burn with fire and hope reignited. Maybe that was the fire. But they still didn't. <gasps> it's you. What did they still need in order to see that it was Jesus? Here's why I think Jesus pretended to keep going and wouldn't die for this because the scripture doesn't tell us, so one person's take. He keeps walking along, and I think after opening the scriptures to him, he's thinking, boy, I hope they just heard the lesson. I hope they understand. I know they're my followers. I better start hearing the question soon. I don't know if they hadn't asked it. He might have turned around. And said, okay, I'm going to leave again. It's dark and it's cold and gosh, I'm hungry. See you later. Guess I'll go just sleep over by this rock. What do they do? No. Don't go. It's dark, friend. It's dangerous out there. It's cold. It's time to eat. Come, come with us. Please, you can't go on like this. Oh, and I wish um, 
there was a camera at that moment that his followers extend that hospitality, extend that act of service and self-sacrifice. I wish there would have been a camera on Jesus' face. I bet, I bet he smiled. Yes. Consider this. If they had not, the Greek is strong, coerced, forced Jesus to come back with them, would they ever have recognized that it was him? Maybe, but they still didn't know, did they, until they opened their hearts to serve this stranger on the road, and he comes. And then when he gets there, what does he do? Something they had seen many times before, did you know? At the feeding of the 5,000, guess what Jesus does with the bread? He takes it. He gives God thanks. He breaks it. And he gives it. So many stories in the New Testament, you look them up, where Jesus uses table fellowship around meals to illustrate and to teach things like repentance and forgiveness and what it means even by your seating arrangements to find true honor. He was a table fellowship sort of savior. And then of course, Passover and the Lord's Supper took what God had given him, food from the earth. Oh, praise God, thank you for giving me something to eat. And from what you've given me, I'm going to break it to share. Here, take it. And it's when those two see Jesus in action, doing what our table service Savior does, serving and giving to others. It's him! Oh! How could we be so? Now, hear me. They had in them burning hearts that were still working through the scriptures. We need that word to teach, amen? So they had that foundation, but it wasn't until his followers and Jesus responded by showing him in action, this is what it all means to give our lives in service, that boom, that's God, that's Messiah, that's Jesus. Boy, and the lesson that we can draw from there today, not only does Jesus walk with us, but we recognize him when we're on our own road to Emmaus, when others now in his name come with kindness and love and remind us through teaching of the scriptures, but also in helping us along of who God is. Those two men were correct. He was a prophet mighty in word and deed, and you need both, or it's a different Jesus, my friends, than what's in the Gospels. And so wherever you are on your road to Emmaus, look around you. Look around you even here in this community, so help us, God. And when someone comes and offers a helping hand or a helping prayer, do you recognize that help as Jesus himself? Or look around you, who else is on their road to Emmaus? 
What are they hurting from? And you want them to know Jesus in their lives, whether or not they know him yet? Sure, open the scriptures and talk about God's plan for saving them and saving the world and his love for them. But show them. Because if you don't, they may not recognize him. They may miss him. There's a short story by a woman in the 70s that I came across that I'd like uh, to share with you. And I love it because it asks and answers the question, is there an Emmaus Road in our town? And this woman finds an Emmaus Road on her driveway. Listen to her story. Patricia Holland. Wouldn't you love to have been the man who met the risen Christ, been the men who met the risen Christ on the road to Emmaus? To have been so encountered in the midst of your daily life with the presence of the risen Christ that you and those who heard your story could never again doubt the truth of the resurrection. Is there an Emmaus road in our town? I peel grapefruit and wonder, where does one go? What does one do to meet the risen Christ in the late 1970s? Is there really an Emmaus Road here? I glance out the window to check on our two-year-old Kirk and his friend Lindsay. She's potty trained and he's street trained. But together, they sometimes venture to the edge of the street. Sure enough, there they sit. Tricycle overturned, two feet out from the curb. They sit in the gutter, no doubt pleased to have an excuse to get that far. I march out wearing my best mean mama look, pick them up, and swat them both soundly on the bottom explaining simply and sternly the dangers of going into the street. Their lips quiver, then poke out. Their feelings seem hurt uh, more than their seats. <laughs> but the looks on their faces say they are undoubtedly suffering the wages of sin. The worst form of death to a two-year-old, estrangement from mom. I walk away to pick up the toys strewn in the neighbor's yard, physically reinforcing the distance between us, sending instructions on the wind for them to ride their trikes near the house. They move slowly away from the street, obviously miserable. I step up to the second step, about to go back to my supper preparation and, and leave them in their repentance. Then I'm reminded how desperately one who is rebuked wants the relationship restored at any age, but especially at two. I walk back and meet them in the driveway, giving no hint of my changed mood until I kneel in front of them saying, you know something? I love Lindsay and I love Kirk. What a look! Her blue eyes were flooded with love and gratitude, instant reception of that love. His sturdy body 
hurled itself into my arms, clinging tightly as he soaked up the love and acceptance he had so deeply missed the past three minutes. I don't want you to get hurt in the street because I love you. I reinforced the rules, but all they heard was the love restored. How can I explain it? The road to Emmaus in my driveway? Absurd? But yes, he was there in her blue eyes, the reconciling Christ who came to bring release to the captives to set the prisoners free. Where in her eyes, in my heart, in the sturdy arms clenching my neck, he was among us. How? I do not know, but I could not doubt his presence. Years ago, before I came to West Bowles, I found myself on uh, my own uh, road to Emmaus. Um, to make a long story short, um, my uh, teaching uh, in a classroom had um, greatly upset um, uh, some people. And um, to make an even longer story short, uh, I was out of the classroom for a while pending investigation, and, and I ended up uh, in front of a panel of four local pastors determining whether or not I was a heretic. That was fun. Actually, not at all. It was one of the hardest um, roads of my life because I loved the Word of God. I loved to teach it. I loved uh, these people who um, misunderstood, many of them longtime friends. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I better uh, do something else <laughs> if it causes this kind of uh, pain. And um, there came a time weeks into this where I was sitting, uh, sitting in my study at home in the dark. It was late at night. Uh, Jill and the kids had gone to bed. And uh, it was so hard on them. And uh, I was just sitting there, and I thought to myself, you know what? This isn't worth it. Um, I'm going to go back to being a lawyer. And uh, first thing I'm going to do is sue these people. No. <laughs> and I had actually made the decision I'm going to quit. And I'm not kidding. Right at that step along that dark road, my computer screen lit up. You got mail. And I looked at the email and I recognized um, one of my students' names. And I hesitated because I promised pending investigation that I'd have no contact with any students. 
But I was going to quit, so <laughs> click. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. The student asked, hey, Mr. Lanning, how are you doing? Everybody misses you. I just want to tell you that um, maybe you didn't know this, but through the time that you spent with me in the classroom, I came to know the Lord as my Savior. And I want to tell you, Mr. Lanning, something you told me from James. Whatever you do, don't give up. And then she said, if you do give up, if you do quit, then I will know that what you told me was a lie. <laughs> and so I changed my mind. <laughs> and I guess I'm still teaching. panel determined that I wasn't a heretic, just to give you some assurance. <laughs> Phew! I can laugh about it now. Praise God. And through that student, uh, through my wife, through the kids, through family, through my colleagues, through the administration of people over me, through countless others, Jesus came hustling along beside me on a really hard road. And I was able to recognize him and go back to Jerusalem, just like those two guys did. How'd you like to hustle back late at night, seven miles back up to Jerusalem like they did? And in their turn, re-energized and finding hope, they gave hope to the 11 and the others on their roads to Emmaus. And my friends, and so on and so forth and so on and so forth is the life and purpose of the church and of the people of God. To share with each other our stories of encountering Jesus himself on our roads to Emmaus and to be encouraged and to continue on so that the world may know there is a God who loves them and who loves us and gave his life for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this story. Thank you for a story that is once again real. A story of two men crushed in their spirit because it's not going how they think it should and because there's pain and disillusionment and discouragement. Uh, thank you for being the Savior that comes up next to us on those roads. Help us, Father, please, to recognize that you're always right there, very close, especially when the steps become painful.
Help us to see you there, especially then. And Father, in our turn, when we have the opportunity, my goodness, not only might we be entertaining angels when we're hospitable, we might even be attending you yourself. Help us, Father, engender in us that give to others first and um, attitude and habit even as we mature in the faith and the teaching of your word. Help us to interpret scripture in a way that leads to and deepens that above all else so that, Father, people can see Jesus through us too and encounter him on their painful roads to Emmaus. Father, we love you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand, please, uh, for the benediction? You know, in my preparation, the words from uh, Isaiah chapter 40 came to mind. It came to mind, um, actually, uh, first thing this morning. And so I didn't have time uh, to memorize it. But listen to these words and be encouraged, my friends, on your roads, whether your own or the ones you're walking along with someone else. The prophet writes this, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. 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 Peace be to all of you. Have a great week.